Hi, this is Sarit Schwetzer, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast, a podcast devoted to the teachings of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, as recorded in his most famous work, the Tanya. My hope for this show is to make these teachings accessible and relatable to the average person, regardless of prior Jewish education or affiliation. The episodes follow the prescribed daily study portions and are meant to serve as practical lessons in how to live your life as your true self and develop an authentic and powerful relationship with your Creator. I have personally experienced the effects the study of this work has had on me, and I'm excited to share what I can of this knowledge with you. So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Welcome to the It Is Top podcast. This is a special bonus series entitled, Why Is the Whole World Against Us? The purpose of this series is to offer a deeper spiritual insight into the current war that Israel is raging against Hamas in Gaza, as well as the geopolitical war Jews all around the world are raging in defense of our right to the land of Israel as our homeland and against worldwide anti-Semitism, which has risen exponentially in the aftermath of the October 7th massacre. The teachings I'll be relating are based on a sicha by, given by the Lubavitcher Rebbe in the year Tavshin Chavvav, or in the Hebrew year of 5726, or the English year of 1965. And the sicha is on Parshas Bereshis, based on the first Rashi and Parshas Bereshis. I studied and recorded this material in the merit of a swift victory of the IDF and the protection of all of our fellow soldiers and all Jewish lives within the land of Israel and throughout the world, as well as for the speedy return of our hostages. May it happen very, very soon. All right. So if you've been following along this this series thus far, then as you'll know, it's been quite a journey and we've really been getting really deeply into that first Rashi, which launched us into a broader discussion about the Jewish people as a whole and about our, our essential connection with the land of Israel and how God essentially at the, the very start of creation actually had in mind that this land of Israel uh, was reserved, was meant for the Jews all along. And then by giving it to the non-Jewish nations throughout history, this actually was just part of the process of ultimately giving it to us uh, eventually in actuality. Today's episode is actually going to be where we take this whole discussion and we bring it to a much deeper and much more personal level. So as mentioned in the previous episode, we spoke about this idea briefly about how man is really a microcosm of the macrocosmic world, how the whole entire world is a macrocosm of man. And so thus everything that we see in the world, every occurrence in the world, every phenomenon in the world that exists on a global scheme actually exists for every single person internally. Uh, And as a Jew, we really see this through a Jewish lens. And especially when we're talking about the land of Israel and the other nations and all this, this kind of stuff, we know that these are, there are parallels to all of this in terms of our internal lives, in terms of the internal work that we need to do uh, as people. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So it's a, it's a really, really deep subject. And the focal point of this subject is actually going to be around 
the study of Torah, of the individual study of Torah for each and every Jewish person, which interestingly enough, and I think this is one of the most amazing things about the Sicha, is this is actually what we're doing in, you know, listening to this podcast, me giving over this podcast, giving over the Sicha, learning the Sicha together. We're actually doing in the process exactly what it is that the Rebbe uh, is telling us that we need to do and is going to explain to us today the, the great power in that. And as we'll see, the real uh, benefit of Torah study, the real power of Torah study, the real purpose of Torah study really comes about through effort and toil and getting into the details, getting into the nitty gritty, getting into the intricacies and the back and forth and everything, which is, you know, I think kind of like uh, interesting that that's that we see that this sicha is such a lambda sicha, as I mentioned, it is such a academic kind of scholarly um Sicha with so many questions and answers and details and tangents and all all kinds of different you know it's a it's a whole web and we're really sorting through that whole web and today we're really going to learn the value of of the sorting on an internal level and what what this process is really really means for every individual um, on our level in terms of our ultimate purpose here in the world. So we're going to begin our discussion today by talking about a very famous teaching in the Talmud, in the Gemara, which is found in Masachet Nida on page 30b, that an unborn Jewish child is taught the entire Torah in its mother's womb. And then after we're born, then an angel comes and taps us on the top of our lip and leaves that mark that we all have on top of the the lip over there and we forget the entire Torah that we that we were taught in our mother's womb. So the obvious question that comes about from this teaching is this seems a little strange. Um, it seems almost like a little bit pointless if like why learn the entire Torah in our mother's womb if we're only just going to forget it later on? Like what's the point of that? Like it seems like almost like a tease, right? It's like we're given the whole prize, we're given the whole thing before we're born, only to have it being taken taken away from us. So why? Why why did Hashem why does Hashem make it that we forget the entire Torah when we're born? Um so in order to understand this, we have to uh, actually have to look at a different teaching that comes up uh in Kabbalah, which is the concept of Nahama Dhsufa, which means bread of shame. And what this is a reference to is that we tend to, as humans, appreciate something that we've worked for a lot more than something that we didn't work for, something that we get for free. So like a free handout, you know, like if somebody just gives us something uh, and we don't feel deserving of it, like we didn't do anything to to get it, you know, like a welfare check or something like that, then uh, it's definitely not as satisfying. And if anything, we might feel a certain amount of shame with it versus something that we have to work for. So meaning to say that when we re- originally receive this Torah in our mother's womb, we don't work for it. It's something that we're just given. It's given to us as like just a free ride, you know, uh, but then through us forgetting it, this is actually, even though it might seem like God's taking something away from us, in a certain sense, it's actually a certain um gift to us because it's giving us the gift of being able to work for it. It's giving us the gift that we can now work for this bread. We can now work for the Torah, which is a much more satisfying, uh, much more rewarding type of work, a much more rewarding type of achievement. 
And we see this, you know, going back to the parallel of the land of Israel, it's a similar type of thing is that specifically through us conquering the land of Israel, through us specifically, through it belonging to the non-Jewish nations for so many years, and then we actually have to go and work for it, uh, we feel a much stronger sense of ownership over it because we're actually putting in the effort for this. As a side note, just something, you know, that's coming to mind for me with this in terms of the current war that's going on in Israel as we see, it's kind of maybe sad that it has to come to this, but um, through this war, we're seeing one of the side effects of it is this great feeling of Jewish unity, this great love of the land of Israel that's coming about because we specifically feel threatened, unfortunately, from these attacks uh, that we're getting from the non-Jewish nations. This is actually awakening within us this desire to work for the land. So many Jews, the rate of Aliyah is actually going up in Israel. Uh, people are, are flying to Israel and to help and to work, you know, people and people who are staying outside of the land of Israel are really doing whatever we can do. And we just, we feel it's, it's sort of awakened our Zionism uh, through the war, right? And that actually is because of the fact that we have to work for it. So there is something to be said about this idea that when you have to work for something, that it actually does feel more, um, there's something about it that feels more passionate, that feels more uh, exciting, you know? Nevertheless, going back to the an, the analogy of learning Torah, so we're kind of going to be going back and forth between these two topics: the topics of the topic of learning Torah and the topic of conquering the land of Israel, and and how they relate to one another. So when we go back to the concept of learning Torah and learning Torah through our own efforts, so okay, yes, it might be more rewarding to do it through our own efforts. On the other hand, we're our brain, our capacity to learn Torah is extremely limited. Even if you have somebody with like the highest level of IQ and their whole life is devoted to Torah study and all of that, they're learning Torah as a limited human being. They're learning Torah as a created being. So meaning to say that any Torah that they learn is going to be within the realm of a, of a created being. It's not going to be on the same level that uh, that they had when they were in the, the their mother's womb, where they were just like totally immersed in Torah study in this more essential way. So what we can liken this to in terms of going back to the land of Israel and uh, and our and our connection to the land of Israel, this is sort of like our Torah learning is connected to the nations of the world because you know, we mentioned this uh, in the previous episode that one of the purposes of Torah learning is to make a Jew realize that we're higher than the world. We spoke about what that means there and how that that's not actually a degradation of the other nations or of the rest of the world, but it's to say that we transcend the world in a certain sense. However, when we're learning Torah with our own minds as created beings uh, in this more limited sense, there is something about that that actually does relate to the world. It's, you know, we're using our human brains where there's nothing, you know, inherently like supernatural about our brains. Like we're using our very limited human neurons and neurotransmitters and all that stuff to be able to learn Torah. So in that sense, we can kind of like, um, connect this, we can get, say that this is sort of parallel in a certain sense to the nations of the world. This is sort of like the nations of the world having ownership for a certain amount of time over the land of Israel. It's that our brains are the ones that, again, this microcosm of, of, uh, of, this, of the land of Israel within ourselves is that in that sense, our brains are sort of serving this purpose of being the other nations of the world that are involved in Torah study.
And what that means is that if we're only learning Torah on this level that's connected to uh, our brains, our human minds, our, our capacity as limited, hu- limited human beings, which relates to the other nations of the world. This means that, yes, while we're studying Torah, which is a very holy thing, uh, which means that we're conquering the land of Israel, so to speak, on some level, we're really only conquering it uh, in a more natural way, in a way that any other nation could conquer the land of Israel, which means like, you know, as we've spoken about in previous episodes, it's a type of conquering of the land that every other nation does, that one day it belongs to me, one day it belongs to you, depending on who has the stronger army, depending on who's uh, more, who has more power at any given time in history, that's when they have more power over the land. But so now this is why we can go back to the why it is that we were given our the entire Torah, taught the entire Torah in our mother's womb. Because this prenatal teaching that we got, this prenatal education that we got, gave us the power so that this later learning of Torah that we do through our own efforts is not going to just be like a regular uh, human kind of limited type of learning, but it's going to actually be infused with something much greater than that. It's going to be infused with something really divine and something uh, beyond nature, something really supernatural. On a Kabbalistic level, we can say that this is when the soul is in what's called Ibor, in a state of Ibor. Ibor uh, literally translates to mean pregnancy. And Kabbalistically, what this is a reference to is the level of Malchus of Atzillus. So those of you who learn chasadas on your own, or maybe you follow along my Tanya podcast, might have some of an understanding of what Malchus of Atzillus means. But in brief, just to kind of explain that a little bit, there are four basic worlds. Worlds in Hebrew is olam, so kind of more realms. It's hard to translate these things, but there's four basic realms, like passageways that we can kind of think of by which creation happens, by which the process of creation happens. We kind of think of this in like a temporal way that it's like first it starts off in this world, then it comes into this world, then it comes into this world. The truth is these worlds are actually present at all times. It's just kind of like different layers of, of what's happening with the layers that underlie all of reality. So the highest of this world is what's known as the world of Atsilus. Atsilus can be translated to mean emanation. And it's a, it's an interesting world because it's sort of like a semi-world. It's not really a world the way the other three lower worlds are. The three lower worlds are the worlds of Bria, Yetzirah, and Asiya, the worlds of creation, formation, and action. We live, this physical world is found within the world of action. Um, but the world of Atsilus, which is this higher world, it's it's different than the other worlds because it's not actually a, a real world that's distinct from God. So God creating the worlds, you know, something from nothing, actually creating something something from nothing really only happens once we get to the stage of Bria, the world of actual creation, where there's something distinct so to speak, other than God. Really, ultimately, there is nothing distinct other than God, but you know that's a bigger discussion. But in terms of the experience of created beings, having their own experience as something separate from and apart from God really only happens in the world of Bria, which is the second world. Uh, the world of Atsilus, on the other hand, is the world of emanation, which means that everything that exists, everything that is created or that will be created exists within that world, but only in potential. It's one with God. It doesn't have its own independent existence, which is why it's called the world of emanation. 
And within each world, uh, to complicate things even further, there are many different levels, many different layers. So we know that the building blocks of every single world are these 10 forces, these 10 energies, which are known as the 10 spheros. Again, this is a bigger discussion for another time. If you want to learn more about this, then please listen to my uh, my Tanya podcast series where I get into this in more detail. But, um, but there are 10 basic energies that make up each world that are like the, the building blocks of each world. There are the three intellectual energies that are the three, the higher energies. And then we have the seven emotive energies that come after that. Uh, I'm not going to get into all of them today, but what we are going to focus on is the last one, the last of the emotive attributes, which is kind of, again, kind of its own thing. It's, it's malchus. It's known as sovereignty and it's where everything kind of comes together. And that level, that last level of every world, that last energy of malchus, uh, is the connector between that world that it's found in and the world that's below it. So the the malchus, the sovereignty of a higher world actually becomes what's known as the keter, the crown, which is the highest of all the levels of the, low, of the world that's below that. So to illustrate this, the illustration that's used actually to describe the level of malchus, which again is the lowest of all of these 10 energies within the world of Atsilus, which is the highest of all the worlds, the world of emanation. So Kabbalistically, that's referred to as Malchus of Atsilus. So the illustration that's given for this is actually pregnancy, is this concept of Ebor. Because if you think about it, what is pregnancy? Um, so, so in pregnancy, there's a mother, and then there's also a child, right? There's a fetus. But is the fetus its own thing? Or is the fetus just part of the mother? So this is, you know, part of it might sound reminiscent of some of the discussions around abortion and things like that in uh, more political spheres nowadays. But it actually it, it, it's actually a real question. It's not, you know, for um, some groups, it might be really simple is that there's a mother and then there's a baby and these are two separate entities. In Judaism, it's actually not that simple. And at a certain point in a mother's pregnancy, actually, the fetus is considered to be just part of the mother's body. It's not really its own thing. It's not really its own entity. Uh, and even later on, on towards the later stages of the pregnancy, even though then we say, okay, yes, you know, this fetus um, definitely does have its own thing, its own laws, its own, you know, there's, there's certain rulings around that. Even up until the very last stage of pregnancy, at the end of the day, in terms of want to get into some of that abortion discussion here, the mother's life takes precedence over the fetus's life. So we're actually allowed to abort a child. Um, what if if it's going to save the life of a mother if the mother's life is in danger and this is because really ultimately this this fetus until it's actually born until it actually is outside of the mother it does not actually have its own uh existence in a full-fledged way so the way that this relates to this to our discussion is that there's something about this existence of being a fetus, uh, you know, on a physical level that we're really bound to our mother in a true way, in a, in a very intrinsic kind of way that, that we don't have once we exit, once we're actually born. 
And that we see that this actually relates to the way that we are taught Torah within our mother's womb versus the way that we learn Torah outside of our mother's womb. So when we learn Torah outside of our mother's womb, as we discussed, this is through our own efforts, through our own minds, through our own toil and all that kind of stuff. But when we learn Torah in our mother's womb, it was in a much more essential and intrinsic way. It was in such a way that the Torah was not really something that was apart from us. It, what, it was beyond the limitations of creating beings. Once you create something, you're bound to the limitations of that thing that you've specified, that you've created. Now, now you're not just like in, in potential anymore. When, when you think about like, oh, I want to write a book or I want to draw a painting or something until you actually write that book, until you actually draw the painting. In a certain sense, the painting in the book is, is unlimited. But once you start taking that pen to the paper, you've created a limitation. You've, you've bound it to something. So when we go back to that prenatal state, we're going back to this place that's beyond limitation, which means that the type of Torah that we learned, the, the level of Torah that we learned when we're in our mother's womb is a very lofty, not even lofty, that's not even the right word. It's like a, it's, it's beyond the limitations of created beings. So the reason why it's important that we had this prenatal learning, because you, you might say, if we're just going to forget it anyways later and because the value of our toil is so important we don't want to have this bread of shame quote unquote that the Kabbalah refers to so the value of Torah learning on our own that's that's really where it's at we want to have the struggle we want to have the learning but why is why was it important to to start off our journey with that prenatal unlimited learning because this prenatal learning that we had in as a fetus in our mother's womb is what infuses all of our future learning to come with this supernatural level to it with this this uh this unlimited aspect to it which is how we can now go back to our discussion about the land of Israel and about our conquering of the land of Israel and back to that original Rashi that we, that prompted this whole discussion, where if you recall, one of the questions that came up for us was that seemingly Rashi seems to repeat himself, where if we go back to that original Rashi, um, when Rashi says as his answer to the nations of the world who accuse us of robbery, then what does Rashi say? Rashi says that we should answer these nations and we should say to them that the entire world belongs to God. He created it and he gave it to who he deemed proper in his eyes, which is the first reference to him giving it to the Jewish people. And then Rashi goes on and he says, with God's will, he gave it to them, gave it to the non-Jewish nations. And then with his will, he took it from them and gave it to us. So again, Rashi says, gave it to us, give it to the Jewish people. So he's mentioning giving it to the Jewish people twice. First by saying that he gave it to who he deemed righteous in his eyes, who he deemed proper in his eyes. And then by saying that he took it from them and gave it to us. But what we've learned previously in previous episodes and what we're getting back to here today is it's actually not a repetition at all. Because as we've learned in previous episodes, uh, what this is referring to, what's really going on here is that there are stages of, of the giving of the land of Israel to us. Stage number one was at the very beginning of creation, God did give the land of Israel to the Jewish people upon creating the world, but he gave it to us in thought. It was in potential. It was in his mind that this was the ultimate goal. What this can be likened to in terms of Torah study is this can be likened to our prenatal learning, our learning within our mother's womb that happens in this very uh, uh, essential and unlimited lofty kind of way. And then later when he actually gave the land of Israel to us, 
in a more real and practical and actualized way um, through first giving it to the non-Jewish nations, what this can be likened to in terms of our Torah study is that you know, we we after we're born, we forget what it is what it is that we learn. So it's sort of like our Torah study then kind of goes into the realm of just being a, a regular human, a very limited kind of human, which is the idea of uh, having the land of Israel be like every other land in the world that is that could be conquered by any nation. And then we go just like any other nation would, and we conquer the land through our own efforts and through our own toil. So that's still in the realm of the, of it belonging to the other nations of the world. But through this process, because this process of our own Torah study and our own effort and work is actually infused with this prenatal, pre-birth, unlimited uh power to it, it actually makes it so that our conquering of the land of Israel, that our Torah study that we do through our own efforts is not just a human endeavor. It's not just like something that like any other nation would do, but it actually is godly and it actually is unlimited such that when we use our human minds, our created minds, our limited minds to study Torah, it actually is allowing us to tap into something that is unlimited. Our Torah study actually brings us back to that prenatal um, education that we had. And again, this is uh, parallel to the conquering of the land of Israel, is that what this what this means is that when we as Jews in a macrocosmic way go and conquer that land of Israel, when we actually went and conquered it from the non-Jewish nations, we're not just conquering it like any other nation would conquer it. We're conquering it in a godly way and in such a way that we actually are transforming the land essentially so that it now is really established. This is a Jewish land and it can never again be anything else. It can only be a Jewish land. And our ability to do this and the right that we have to do this comes because this was God's intention all along, because of the power that God infused in this land from the very beginning of creation, when he, in his mind, established this is a Jewish land, this is meant for the Jewish people. So that's the teaching for today. That's that's the idea. This is hopefully this gave you a little bit of a of a deeper insight into the macrocosm of who we are all are uh, as Jews and what our purpose is here in terms of learning Torah and and how we're supposed to go about learning Torah and the value of specifically struggling with Torah because when we struggle in the learning of Torah, what we're doing is we're actually taking our human minds. We're taking our inner nations of the world, so to speak. Um, and we're transforming that and we're infusing that with something higher. We're infusing it with the deeper part of ourselves, with the with the, the godly part of ourselves, uh, with the unlimited part of ourselves that we were tapped into totally before we were born in our mother's fetus. So that's the end of the section for today. And uh, in t- in the next episode, which might actually be the final episode in this series. I'm not sure yet. We'll see how it goes. We're actually going to take this discussion into an even deeper place where we're going to actually look about look at how it all, all of this relates to the Torah itself and to how the Torah, forget about you know us learning the Torah, which is what we spoke about today, but how the Torah itself descends into the world and thus hopefully give us a deeper appreciation of what the Torah that we learn is exactly. So stay tuned for that and I will speak to you then. Thanks for listening to the It Is Top podcast hosted by Sarit Switzer. This podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather, Avraham Yitzchak Ben Binyamin Cohen of Blessed Memory. Music by Shoshana. 
If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please share it with others and subscribe on YouTube, Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to leave us a five-star review. To find out more about the It Is Taught project, including more information on my soon-to-be-published book, please visit our website, itistaught.com. To catch the latest from me, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Looking forward to speaking with you tomorrow, and until then, have a great day.